Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 262. Today is the 21st of January, 2018, and this interview is with Kerry O'Shea-Gorgon, who's the Director of Product Strategy at Marketing Pros, which offers education for many of the top organizations in the world and boasts over 600,000 members. Kerry, who has a law and a business master's degree, is also the host of the Marketing Smarts podcast. In this podcast with Kerry, we discuss some important trends and tips for marketers in 2018, including about the upcoming GDPR implementation in Europe, as well as looking at how to provide and lead great education using the digital tools and platforms. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. Hello! Oh, that was a little loud. Hello, and welcome to the Minter Dialogue. Today, someone, I kind of had this really goofy way of meeting, Carrie O'Shea Gorgon. So I met you basically through your blog post. And then Jason Miller asked me to read it out loud, which I did. And that led me to get to know you. What a fun and enjoyable experience it is, Carrie. So you are a woman with many arms and arrows in your arc. You have a law degree and a business degree. And you are an educator working at as director of product strategy and training at the wonderful marketing profs. Welcome to the show, Carrie. Thank you so much, Minter, for having me. And you made my words sound so classy when you read them that I decided you should read all my blog posts from now on. I got a new job. So, uh, <laughs> Carrie, one of the questions I like to ask people when I get in is what's their mindset? How would you describe your state of mind as we begin this 2018? Ooh, um, I'm always very curious and I'm very quick to laugh. So those two things... I think will get me through what's coming in 2018, which is a whole lot of new questions and things for marketers to consider. You know, so I, I don't know. I like to have fun. That's my mindset. I'm just going to keep doing that. Let's keep it rolling. So um, one of the things that I uh, I like to talk about at the beginning of the year, just because it's the beginning, is what's going on in the trends. And uh, and you and I work a lot in marketing. How would you describe the, the key marketing trends or the things that marketers this year really need to get into shape on? Well, first of all, I think I warned you before we talked that I stink at trends. So, you know, if these are all wrong, just don't blame me. But live video is definitely taking off in a really big way. I'm seeing a lot of people experimenting with it who weren't before. And they're having great results. I think, I mean, it's been a long time that people have been more interested in trying video, but it was kind of polished and produced um, or on the other end of the spectrum, it completely sucked. Like you couldn't understand why they were even doing it. There was a really bad one from, uh, was it Hasbro where they had people in costumes playing hungry, hungry hippos in total silence. Like that was that made for compelling video, right? They were like, it was the Monopoly guy playing with Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. You think this would be hysterical. It was so creepy because they couldn't talk. They're doing the whole like gesture thing. So I think they've experimented with video to some extent with wildly varying results. And I think what people are discovering is that live video is where it's at for 2018 because people want authenticity. But, you know, you have to do some thinking before you start recording 
So I think we'll see a lot more of that. I'm looking forward to it, actually. Well, what, what that speaks to me about, and I think it's something of a trend in, in, in so many other, there's a convergence to it, which is about having personality and allowing for your foibles, your errors. Because if you're live, by definition, there's always a risk that shit will happen. Oh, and frequently does. And that actually makes for the best video. Those are the things that go viral. The guy on BBC who had left his door unlocked and the baby rolled in. <laughs> it's the best right. thing I've seen last year. Bar yeah. none. I don't yeah. even remember a lot of the branded video I saw. I remember that. Well, of course, we don't remember what he was talking about either. No. <laughs> doesn't matter. He stopped immediately when the baby rolled in. How do you not stop? Right. So with your background as a lawyer and and uh, even uh, I suppose the business degree really is, is, is relevant in this question, too. But Facebook has gone through a whole number of changes with its algorithm. There's also in Europe, which we're more, most concerned about, which is this GDPR, which is uh, talking about general data protection. And uh, and that's coming up in May. How do you believe this is impacting or continuing to impact how marketers should craft a successful global strategy around their content? Boy, well, first of all, I think they need to take it seriously. I think there might be a tendency on the part of American marketers or marketers and in, not inside the European Union to think that this legislation doesn't necessarily affect them, but it does because they market to people there, um, unless you choose not to, but it's, it's a global world now. So I think they just need to shift their thinking and consider themselves global operations, you know, I think more generally, but also to think about where their data is coming from. That's what's required. Not just to say, like in the past, you could say, we got this, we're totally compliant, like trust us. And then you'd get audited once in a while. Now that you have to prove on an ongoing basis, be prepared to prove that you're in compliance with GDPR. And if you're not, then the fines are significant. So it's either, I think it's 4% of your global revenue or 20 million pounds, which I don't know too many companies that have that that much global revenue, right? If they're small. So you should be thinking about it if you're smart, know where your data is being stored. And that is harder than it sounds. Marketers should start looking at the vendors that they use that use cloud storage, you know, maybe things like databases that live somewhere other than on your own servers. You've just got to know. So if you want to make marketing campaigns that are legal in this new environment, you need to be very consciously aware of what data you're collecting and where it resides. So you and your IT guys have got to get really close, <laughs> buddy up, and, Facebook friends. Yeah, and legal friends too. <laughs> and legal friends. Well, the thing, the reason why I put them two together, this, the changes in the Facebook algorithm and GDPR is at some level, it's about doing the right thing, which in, in essence means giving fun, engaging, relevant, timely content, which is what I suppose the Facebook algorithm seems to be pointing towards. And in GDPR, it's be treat your customers or the objects of your desire as you would like to be treated. With respect, of course. So that starts with knowing what it is you're collecting for data and thinking about why you're even doing it. Because if it isn't ultimately to benefit the customer in the form of an enhanced customer experience, then you're being selfish and you ought not to do it. It's kind of like religion. Like they all have the same basic fundamental principle. Like be a good person, yeah. do unto others and all that. It's kind of the same. So whether you're Facebook or not, they have to comply too. Think about all the data they have to deal with. 
Is there, are there other things in the U.S. that you see sort of converging on these different types? I mean, basically, it's not regulation, of course, Facebook's algorithm, but it does have an impact on us. Are there any other things that you see that are are making us have to be better at creating content, better at permission marketing? So much noise right now. So people have a million options for where to get information and content. They have a million options for things to watch. I mean, you know how it is. You've got plans, and then all of a sudden Netflix announces a new season of Stranger Things, and you're like, plans canceled. So that's what you're competing with. It's not even just your competition anymore. It's everything. So you've got to really create a relationship with people that goes beyond the transactional, which people have been saying this forever, but people still, brands still don't do it. So a true lasting emotional connection with people based on providing them with helpful content and a really outstanding experience all the time. It sounds exhausting because it is it's sort of like marriage. You're like marriage is so much work. Yeah, it's work. And you're married to all these people now in some it. way, right? Right. But it's not everybody. You don't have to try and be everything to everybody. Just focus on the people who are most valuable to you, mm. like your metaphorical spouse. Spouses. Right. Is that a little <laughs> And focus on them. Well, they really do a good job. And they'll help you. There's polyga- so. polygamous relationships. <laughs> um, yes. That, Every brand is in a polygamous relationship. Yeah, did not expect to talk about that. <laughs> no. So, Carrie, um, one of the areas that you and I have talked about before offline is this notion of automated marketing, which at some levels I would presumably understand to be a necessary evil. But between automated marketing, programmatic, chatbots, and all the various uses of machines and artificial intelligence, how do you evaluate the most potential for marketers and and brands? Well, first, I think they've got to get their their own house in order, make sure that they have a customer-centric approach to marketing generally, you know, do all of those kinds of things, because a lot of them are still very features and benefits oriented. But once you kind of knock that, if you want to start looking at the potential for programmatic, I think it's pretty amazing um, because you're able to target people who would aren't necessarily aligned with I can't put this like I was a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan. I wasn't necessarily the target demographic for the show. Right. When it was on, you could reach me through programmatic. They would never have reached me through traditional buying, showing me the same ads as every other Buffy viewer because we're so wildly different. You know, some people like NASCAR that you would never think. So even if it's just a couple of minutes per advertising hour that you use programmatic, the results and and the impact of those advertisements are going to be, I would say, so beneficial, so radically better than what you were doing before that you're going to want to do it. So I definitely see that working. And it's not for small businesses, not yet, I don't think, because it's expensive still. But if you've got the funds, that's definitely somewhere to allocate them. As far as uh, as artificial intelligence goes, I know a lot of people are talking about it. It sounds scary. <laughs> it sounds like robots are going to take our jobs. It's really not. It's just another way to use data to enhance your marketing operations and your customer experience. Oh, it comes back to customer experience. But I would start with artificial intelligence using using it to analyze my own marketing operations and make suggestions to me based on trends. Like things get really quiet around here this month of the year. So maybe you want to place some paid ads to boost, you know, your site traffic and your conversions because you're not getting a lot of organic. So basically it all starts with data and using it. And these are just technologies to enhance and improve our marketing efficiency 
I, so don't be scared. <laughs> so if you're, I mean, how does it work in the States? I mean, because we're still at the forefront in this particular topic of using AI, even if it's obviously a big topic and a lot of people are using it. But if you're in the marketing department and and you say, all right, let's use AI to streamline our processes internally, do you, what's the process? I mean, I've never had to do it myself, so I'm sort of, I feel a fish out of water. Do you go to an agency and say, hey, listen, do you have AI? Do you have to hire somebody who's an expert in AI? Do you have any, I mean, have you, any clients that you've had experience in that sort of are, are actually figuring out how to implement it internally for their processes, as you talk about? Anybody who's interested in talking about or learning about AI, I send to Christopher Penn <laughs> over at Shift because he knows it so well. But uh, or that's, if a, interested in, that's a great, right. that's a great idea, too. Of course, high, the high best Chris. idea. Yeah. He's living in living the dream, right? Because he can build his own stuff. He's so smart. Um, but I would say it depends on your budget. So if you've got budget for an agency, I wouldn't just go to any old agency and ask them if they have AI. I'd find, you know, I'd ask Chris Penn or something. But I would find the best possible agency and uh, and start using them. I, but as far as internally, I think there's a lot you can do with different software as a service solutions that can integrate with your existing sim- I said symptoms almost. <laughs> You integrate with your existing systems to uh, help you identify opportunities for streamlining operations. So have them check out your databases, CRM, you know, and uh, Salesforce and other things. And even if you have a content management system, that too. See if you can figure out where you're falling down in terms of efficiency and where you could make some improvements. And then maybe look outward to using artificial intelligence, predictive analytics, and things like that to enhance your customer experience. But like in in first, get yourself settled internally. Well, you know that you're you're stringing my bow. You're 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 <laughs> some, something I'm I would like. But anyway, Caleb Storky and I, who wrote we wrote both for Future Proof, we we talk a lot about this pie concept where you start with the personal. You start inter- actually personally what you are doing. The next level is internally how you operating internally your processes your software your machines for making your business hum and aligned with the way you want to externally communicate and so it should start the p the i then the e so that is fully aligned love it carrie you are um so amongst your many things you've been a professor at a university as i understand it and correct me if i'm wrong and you're teaching and training at uh, marketing profs so one of the areas that has been of complete fascination for me in this life in, in my professional life has this been notion of of education back in my days at l'oreal we spent a considerable amount of money especially at redken nearly 11 percent of our budget on education, educating hairdressers. So it was really a really important part of my life and, and actually my, my marketing budget per se, or how we drove the band. When you are training these days, how do you deal with, for example, the attention span of a Gannett, the, uh, you know, the devices everywhere, the pings and notifications? What, what are some of the things that you are uh, using to successfully transmit in this multivariate, hugely overconnected world? Well, on a micro level, the, one of the dirty tricks I use when I'm giving a webinar is to say, oh, I didn't mean to show that slide. And then everyone comes back <laughs> doing whatever they were doing. That's just a good tip for you. I love but it. no, I think um, acknowledging 
that that is an issue, that no matter how interested you are in your material, that's not necessarily going to be the case. One of the things we do at Marketing Profs is design all of our training instructionally from two to three learning objectives, which are supposed to be you know, measurable in terms of I could not do this before I took the training and now I can. So it's not just understand marketing automation. It would be, you know, you find three ways to implement marketing automation to enhance your customer experience. It would be a lot more specific than that know or understand kind of goal. So we do that from the beginning, build everything that way so that when the thing is finished, you know exactly what to do. Then we also, throughout the training, will have moments for interaction and application, which, I, you know, is so important, right? Because people will mentally check out. They just can't stay engaged. Your brain is function. The way that it functions is to look for change and distracting things in the environment. So they're like, ooh, shiny thing. Ooh, noise. Ooh, something. And then that's it. They're out. So every couple minutes, we'll have an engagement that's like, hey, this was something that we talked about. Which of these things do you think you know, best applies to the work you do and click, 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 or we'll test a concept, you know, not just hard knowledge, like are you awake and paying attention, but some of the softer application type of knowledge. And if you do that enough throughout, then by the time people have finished, they can't help but retain the key concepts you were trying to communicate. So that's something you have to think about every second, really, of every training you do or develop. When you design these trainings, then do you actually have these something marked in your script that says up oh, here's a zinger here's a engagement piece and you you actually you know put these in every two to three minutes is that something you do yes um well it depends on the type of format we're talking about so if it's a live seminar then what we'll do is incorporate polls um we'll incorporate question and answer you know more than once not just at the end we'll do it you know throughout if we can if we're talking about a full-on workshop delivered online group work where people talk and apply things, we'll have polls, we'll have discussions. Um, if you're talking about a module, which is probably more like what people think about, like a video training, it's not straight video, play and consume. There'll be something that pops up that requires you to understand and apply things before you can continue. So you can't kind of go get a coffee and let it play. <laughs> so you get credit for the seminar for your boss or whatever. It's like you have to be paying attention and engaged and do things. And even fun things, not everything has to be a knowledge check because that sounds like a bummer. There'll be fun aspects to it, too. So, like, for example, you'll choose the color of your race car at the beginning. And then as we race you through the training, you'll stay that color. <laughs> sounds dumb when I'm saying it now. No, no, no. It's, it's good. You very know, fun. Well, you know, fun, I mean, it's not intellectual exercise by itself. So when you're doing uh, trainings uh, in real life, to what extent uh, does digital and internet or any of the other devices play a part? Do you, do you really think that blended learning is effective in real life? Or is that something that's still a little bit, let's say, uh, in the in primitive? Oh, man. Well, I'm of two minds about it. So first, anytime you introduce a digital element there's the potential for distraction. It's not even really potential. It's going to happen. They're going to have something else come up that they just go down that rabbit hole. But you're dealing with that regardless because they've got their phone with them. And so one thing, a little ding, a notification will come in and then they'll see something else. And then it's like they're gone mentally. So that's application is something you have to do even in a live environment. So it's very little lecture if I do a workshop. Very little. I'll have pre-work. You know, things that they do before we come, interactive training and stuff like that online. 
so that when we get together, it's pure application because it's very difficult to kind of screw off mentally when you have to do something right now. So that's kind of what we'll work on. I'll have them bring a project with them that, that's ongoing that requires, you know, some help based on the topic we're covering, whether it's marketing, writing or content strategy or whatever. And we'll actually make progress on it during the workshop as a group. And individually, I'll go around and talk to people individually. We'll also do things together in groups. So it's it's very hands-on and practical in the live environment. So blended learning can work, but it's working because they do the digital part before they get to the live part. And then in the live part, we stay very focused and together. And then ideally afterwards, you have some mechanism for reminding them of what they learned so they don't forget it. Like you have to prompt people because habits don't change overnight. So even though they made good progress in your workshop, they'll still go back to the office and do it the way they were doing it, unless you can prompt them to do it the new, better way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. No, I get it. Um, When you, when you try to make change happen, do you, are you, uh, you guys at Marketing Profs, what, what is the philosophy around making change happen? Because at the end of the day, we're all talking about digital transformation and, uh, you know, to, to, to be cynical, a lot of brands are stuck in legacy thinking, short-term results, and it's impossible for them to undo that type of mindset when they go back to the office. The people that come to the training or the people back at the office who didn't come. Yeah, this is the problem. I mean, so you, right. you, you get all these you know, young people mobilized, motivated around great content, uh, make them think the right way with regard to permission marketing and everything. And then they go back and the boss says, you know, Hey, listen, what is the numbers this week? Well, testing. That's what I typically will say. So I've had people say to me, well, this headline, you know, did great for us. And I'm like, compared to what? They didn't test it against anything. It's like did great compared anecdotally to whatever other things they used or no headline, I guess. But I'll say, I'll never argue with test results and neither will your boss. So you could start running some some A-B testing, real simple stuff, and show that the content you're writing that's customer-driven, customer-focused, not features and benefits-focused, show that it plays better, that the way that you're learning to do it drives more effective conversions, that you're getting results. And that's the only way to change the minds of those above you who maybe aren't sharing your vision you know, from the beginning. Ideally, you have a top-down buy-in for something like this, but you can turn the Titanic around just a little bit at a time, if you can show with small experiments that it's working, the way you're doing it is working. It takes longer. Mm-hmm. It's not as dramatic as if you have like a whole organizational change in the way of thinking, mm-hmm. but it, I mean, it works. You know, the I was thinking about <laughs> just going through the article that I, the blog post I wrote about you and, and the think having the empathy, for example, you know, this is one of the topics that you and I both enjoy, which is thinking in the customer's shoes and and making great customer experience and just having that little thought for what's going on in the customer's zeitgeist and mind and and how does one create empathy because I mean we can give them tools and everything but if they don't have the right empathy they're going to struggle to consider their customer as decent individuals you know I learned this very early on, actually, before I went to law school, I had an internship with a company called MediaMap. They were a startup in Cambridge. And my boss was Jarleth, Jarleth Connolly. I'll never forget him because he would give out his personal phone number 
to people who had difficulty. It, it was, I don't know, Media Map was like a editorial system. So you could look up people's editorial preferences for getting pitched. So PR people could pitch people like how they wanted to be pitched. So we had empathy kind of built into the product because um, you need to consider other people in your pitching. But he would give people his phone number and take customer service calls like whatever. Um, one lady called him at 11 o'clock at night because she was on a deadline. And he was like, it's okay. So I would hear other tech support guys joking, you know, about annoying customers and stuff. He did not think it was funny at all. 100% zero tolerance policy for belittling the clients, whether they could hear you or not. I mean, obviously he didn't do it when he could hear you, but no, zero. And so from him, I wasn't even in tech support, by the way. I didn't make fun of people. <laughs> I called in, but I really internalized that mentality. So I think you need someone at your company high up to really embrace a customer centric approach and how you need to hire for that too. Because like I had said in my article, some people are just never going to give a rat's ass and it doesn't matter what you do. They don't care about other people. They're super self-absorbed. That's just who they are. But there are other people who have an innate sense of empathy for others. They really care about the experience. I think you can tell the difference pretty quickly. If not in the interview, then certainly during like a probationary period when they're faced with people's actual struggles. If they start being snotty and mocking them behind their back, well, zero tolerance policy for that because you can't have that bleeding through their real customer interaction. So it's a very human thing. Like you know who cares and who doesn't. Hmm. Well, and, and really at some level, what you're saying does speak to this idea of A, integrity and transparency. Because even though it's behind a closed door, even though they may not be able to hear the customer, when you roll your eyes internally, that's what we're talking about, right? Isn't it that sort of that you're actually even thinking bad thoughts. And if you have bad thoughts, then it's going to come out somehow. You know immediately if someone likes you or doesn't like you. It doesn't matter what the tone of voice they try to put on is. It's very subtle. And just because you're on the phone or even on live chat doesn't mean they don't know that. It's it's a weird. We're very perceptive as humans on some base level. I think it's for our survival, really. <laughs> You yeah. know, we have to know who really likes us and cares about whether we live or die in order to survive. Well, which brings up going back to this notion of chatbots and I would say process, which doesn't even need to be AI and, and machines. When you have a customer service rep who has a written down process of 20 protocols to follow, it's just bullshit. And, yeah. and, and yet, is there an alternative solution that at scale will allow us to have a great customer experience. You have to have trust. So when you're hiring people, don't just be like, I need somebody for 10, 50 an hour who's willing to sit here and, you know, type the script back to people when fed questions. That's never going to work. So you need people who will go the extra mile and appreciate that a situation requires different treatment. So that comes back to hiring. It also comes back to knowing how things really are done. You know how they always tell you your calls being monitored for, for whatever, uh, so that they can improve their process and stuff like they don't listen to those. I don't think most of them, you actually listen to some of them, at least the ones that have been flagged as really good or really bad. So much valuable data there. I had a customer service call that lasted longer than the average because it was very complicated. I had to try and adjust some international flights and you like, you know, you know, air, 
air travel is the source of all my angst. But this woman was so wonderful. She wanted to find me a solution. She didn't even she wouldn't even tell me the prices for some of the things she came up with. She's like, no, forget that. That's mm-hmm. off the table. It's like mm-hmm. ridiculous. And eventually we figured something out that cost me like a hundred bucks to make my whole trip work. And uh, if she had not been empowered to explore alternatives outside the script, I would never have had a solution. I... So empower your employees, I guess, yeah. is what I'm saying. Yeah, I love it. Trust. And, yeah, one of the things that I think about every time I hear the recording, you know, your following conversation will be recorded for pre- training purposes. <laughs> I interpret that as just a vet what you said and to be able to hold it against you should it go uh, south. So it's not... Ooh, you are cynical. I just, I, you know. Well, I mean, I just, you know, I've been in business. Good Lord, what can I say? And I've seen too much of that. Another area I was going to ask you about is um, when you're preparing for a webinar, you know, if you're a speaker, it's you get up and you're going to make a speech, you practice, you know what you're going to say, you've got your clicker, you've got your props, you're, you're in the case. How does one go about getting good at doing webinars? Because it's such an in-situ kind of situation and you've got all these buzzes and bings and things going on and, you know, it's almost like you can never prepare for the things that are going to go wrong. Well, at Marketing Profs, we actually take a lot of that burden off the presenters. I've done things for us, too. Like, I've presented webinars for us. And so the back-end people handle all the dings and customer service messages that come in. You know, I can't find the slides. Or is this being recorded? Or I shouldn't have rolled my eyes. That was bad. (laughs) Uh, But they'll do things like that, handle it, so you don't have to continually look at the chat while while you're trying to speak, which is a big, big help. Um, if you don't have that option, I actually don't mind looking at the chat to answer questions and stuff while I'm progressing through a webinar. It's totally fine. But you need to master the material in advance. You want to not deliver it as though it's a recitation. You need to get it to the point where it's very natural. You really know the stuff, could explain it to anyone, know in depth what you're going to say. So it moves from your working memory back into your permanent memory. It sounds a little complicated, but basically have it down pat so that when those weird questions or whatever pop up, you can answer them and get back to where you need to be without fumbling around too much. If you're just trying to say, okay, this is the slide where I'm going to talk about GDPR and its requirements. If that's all you think while you're practicing for a webinar, guess what you're going to think when you come around to that slide in your webinar? You'll be like, this is where I talk about GDPR and its requirements. You'll be like, shit, what are they? <laughs> but if you brain freeze with your actual right with your actual like a script or something run it again and again and again you've got it down cold and at that point you'll be prepared to get back on track or stay on track if an attractive rabbit hole presents itself so it's really about it, it requires i wouldn't say more practice but a different type of practice because you're not going to get a lot of feedback live the way that you do when you can see people you're not going to know if they're mentally checking out or are bored you just you're not so you have to kind of assume that they're going to check out and try to keep them with you by being animated knowing your stuff and addressing questions as they come up all right carrie carrie o'shea you know um i with a name like that uh i could have expected some fun stories uh, but you know there's a god going in there as well i know so um carrie thanks for being on the show it's been a treat to have you fun to exchange and get to know you better uh, wanted to ask what would be the best way for somebody to get in touch with you, follow what you're up to, or or um, subscribe to something that you'd like to to push in front of everybody. 
Well, I host the Marketing Profs podcast every week called Marketing Smarts, and you can find that at marketingprofs.com. I also have my own website, kerrygorgone.com. That's spelled like Carrie G or gone. <laughs> and uh, I'm Carrie Gorgone across all the different sites, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Come find me. Beautiful. All Thank right. you for having me, Mentor. This was so much fun. Happy New Year. Thank you. You too. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on MinterDial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please like the handy Facebook button. Or better yet, head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. But first, relax to Josh Sachs's Finger Paint. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray. You mentioned in your lack of self-security Oh, I wouldn't care about the art form As long as you would feel warm Wrapped in canvas, hold me tightly Slowly we would paint a lover's portrait With all your favorite shades
You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.